Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and wonderful downtown Boise, Idaho, one of my favorite cities. Um, loving it. Uh, even not bad considering the winter. So today you don't want to miss out on this episode. Stay until the very end because Dr. Meg Headland is going to share her weight loss journey and how weight loss or um, physicians being healthy is for their patients is very, very important. So you don't want to miss out on her story. Um, it's inspiring. And, um, you know, I think uh, she is um, doing something that a lot of physicians should do. I think um, I think it's very important that um, physicians stay healthy and doctors stay healthy. They're going to tell us to stay healthy. I think it's important for them to stay healthy. Here's Here's how I look at it. And you know, this is nothing personal or anything, and I don't want any doctors out there to, or healthcare providers in general, I think, should stay healthy. Um, I don't want them to take this personally, but let's take it to heart. How how would you like as a patient to be told to stay healthy and to possibly lose weight if, if, if there is some chronic diseases being caused by your weight and they're overweight themselves? Um, I think that's kind of hypocritical. Um, here's how I compare it. I compare it to, can you imagine going to a dentist? And the dentist has yellow and crooked teeth. I mean, seriously, would you want to go to that dentist? Um, and so, and I actually write a story about that in my book. My book is called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And there's a story in there about that. And um, you can download that book on, on Amazon. It is available on Amazon on in Kindle form and in paperback. So without further ado, I am going to introduce Dr. Hedlund a little bit, but then I'm going to let her introduce herself. So um, Dr. Hedlund is in Kansas City, Kansas. Is that correct, Dr. Hedlund? That's correct. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey and what made you lose weight and, you know, a little bit about how you, how you lose, how you lost weight too. Uh, well, I um, gained quite a bit of weight uh, after having a couple of children, which is not an uncommon story with um, a lot of female physicians and sometimes male physicians as well. They put on weight uh, with their wives, I'm sure. Um, and I just, In there. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and then dealing with patients and seeing them and counseling them, I started to feel very hypocritical about what I was telling them. Um, especially as an anesthesiologist and telling them that um, there were life threatening issues related to their weight. And um, so I kind of took a good look at myself and uh, realized that I wasn't very happy with how I looked either and um, started making changes with my own appearance and my own health. So, so I know in our, in our connection call before the podcast, you talked about um, being in, and tell us a little bit about your background of, 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 of um, what kind of medicine you practice, but you practice in critical care, if I remember right. So, and you were telling, you were basically if, if a heart failure patient or some sick patient was on a transplant list or something, you mentioned that and it's like, but to be on the transplant list, they had to lose weight. Well, you mentioned that story and how that kind of maybe helped motivate you a little bit. Sure. Um, yes. So if um, a transplant patient were to come in, I, I primarily work in the cardiac ICUs. Um, but if a transplant patient or somebody who's um, eligible um, on paper for a transplant, um, but 
their BMI is too great because they're obese. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. And um, it, it's heartbreaking to me to, to think that, you know, in 20 or 30 years that I could be in that situation where I, I would be a candidate to receive a heart, except for I'd be too, too big. Um, the heart um, coming from a donor of a normal size wouldn't be able to function being placed into a person of a much larger size. So, and, and most donors are of a normal size, um, generally speaking. So, and, and hearts have to be matched. Um, so it, it was just so heartbreaking to, to think and to see that, um, and to see people being turned down for that very, just that reason alone. Um, so it really, it really struck a chord with me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you, you turned it around. And, um, so how did, what, how did you go about it at first? Is it just, you know, do you lose the weight overnight or, you know, how is this process working for you? Yes, my fairy godmother showed up, and that was it. <laughs> uh, if only. Uh, no, i i made I made changes, drastic changes to um, the way I ate my food. So I started out doing intermittent fasting. Um, it seems to have caught on um, with quite a lot of people these days. But I did start intermittent fasting, and I started with a very gentle type of um, fasting where I did not eat breakfast and then would eat lunch and dinner and, um, and then just stop eating after seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, and would watch the amount of sugar intake. I don't have diabetes. Um, but I, um, everyone else in my immediate blood family, parents and brother, they, they have type two diabetes. So I, I know that I'm at high risk for developing that. So I just stopped um, eating sugar as much as I possibly could. And I cut out soda, just a lot of processed things, uh, really. Um, and then as time went on, I um, didn't feel as hungry anymore. I didn't feel a lot of cravings and just extended my fasts and as, as I could tolerate it. Um, without sacrificing a lot of calories um, and health. Um, and before I knew it, I was losing weight and keeping muscle. Um, and I, I didn't add a lot of um, excessive exercise. I walked. Um, and that's really about it. Well, I, you know, um, one thing I always I always say is that, you know, if you're going to pick one over, if you're going to pick nutrition or exercise to help you lose weight, you know, nutrition is more important than exercise. We have I, to, yeah, we, I mean, we have to, you, first of all, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. So you can exercise all you want, especially as we get older, you can get away with it when you're younger, but you cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. If you're eating bad, you can't exercise enough to, 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 um, you know, get out of that. But, and we have to eat to live, but we don't have to exercise to live. So, um, right. eating is, eating is very important now. So you're intermittent fasting. Basically you were fasting for how many hours? Uh, 12, 18 hours, basically. Um, I would, I started at 16. 
and would um, eat in an eight hour window. Um, and then I graduated at my peak to um, kind of more aggressive um, fasting it for about 20 hours and eating in a four hour window. Now I'm kind of back to um, a 16 hour window of fasting, very varying with an 18 hour window. Um, and I'll probably work my way back up. I still have a little bit more to go. Um, but I'm out of the obese category and kind of working my way down the overweight category. Yeah. Well, congratulations to you. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And it's, uh, it's, um, you know, I, I always tell patients or listeners and viewers that, you know, the, the most dangerous thing we can do as an American, statistically speaking, is to be overweight because cardiovascular disease, which is related to obesity, yeah. um, kills more Americans than anything. So it's the most dangerous thing as an American is to be overweight. Um, so and, and we can control that. So um, what, what is what is your thoughts about? how obesity is affecting the, the healthcare system in America. I mean, is it, oh, is it a chronic problem? It's, it's definitely a chronic problem. Um, yeah. From about the 1970s on, we've seen a steady uptick in um, the amount of people with obesity and the incidence of obesity has just continued to rise, um, especially childhood obesity. Um, so, yeah. So not only do we have this increasing incidence in adults, obesity and type two diabetes and all of the metabolic syndrome um, issues that go along with um, obesity. But now we're seeing this uptick in, in childhood obesity and metabolic syndrome and setting the stage for um, early, early diseases um, in our child, our children, and um, even adolescents and young adults now. So um it's it's really concerning, especially for me um, as a critical care physician, um, having to, to take on um, that role. Uh, and it's what a role. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain to our listeners and viewers metabolic syndrome? That might be a new term to them. Can you explain what metabolic syndrome is? I think it's very, very important. Sure. It's a it's it's a cluster of um symptoms that um, present when um, a patient um, becomes, when, when a patient is obese or um, becomes, um, essentially, um, a patient becomes obese and they become insulin resistant, they become hypertensive, um, they, um, they may have sleep apnea, um, they, um, have a central distribution of fat. It becomes more of a, um, this precursor to, um, diabetes and heart disease and a whole host of problems that, um, set you up for a disaster down the road. Once someone is, um, diagnosed with metabolic syndrome, that is a wake up call to start a life change. So, well, and one thing, so many times, and, and, you know, if you'll comment on this many times, I think, you know, there's obese patients that say, Oh, well, you know, I don't have diabetes yet, so I don't have to worry about it. But I mean, you look at them and they've got the metabolic syndrome. Mm -hmm. So can, 
Can you comment on that? Because there's some people think they're in the clear because they're obese, but they don't have diabetes yet. But I mean, they're obviously the central obesity. They have hypertension, um, sleep apnea, um, and yet they think they're in the clear because they don't have diabetes. So can you comment on, you said it's a precursor to having diabetes. Can you comment right. on that about sure. metabolic syndrome? Sure. Um, once you have once you have metabolic syndrome, this is like a warning shot that you're going to develop diabetes. And when you have diabetes, essentially your, your, your pancreas is not working as it should. And your, for lack of a better explanation or term, your blood is kind of poisoned with sugar. And so your kidneys are going to be taking a hit and, and getting some damage. Your nerves are going to take a hit and get some damage. Your heart is going to take a hit and get some damage. Your eyes are going to take a hit and get some damage and, um, and many other organ systems. But um, that metabolic syndrome is a warning, a warning shot to your body and to you to tell you, Hey, um, your blood is, is, has got, is getting sugar in it and it's not clearing and sugar in the blood is toxic at, at high levels. And so you need to do something about that. And when, when you have excess sugar in the blood, um, you know, it, it's stored as fat and we have that central fat and, and, and in turn that causes problems with our, mm-hmm breathing at night and we have extra strain on the heart and we end up with hypertension with our increased afterload and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the physiology on down the line. So um, that metabolic syndrome is, is that, that flare gun that our body is sending up help, help, help. Right. Um, So tell us in, in your practice, how obesity it affects diseases and, and how you talk to your patients about it. Oh gosh. Yes. So, um, so I, I, I have two jobs essentially. I am an anesthesiologist. Um, and I'm also the critical care physician and sometimes they overlap. So especially when, um, you know, there's a code blue, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of both with sedation and intubation. But when it comes to um, especially morbidly obese patients where it's a really difficult, a really big challenge, um, I can I have issues with monitoring, um, you know, trying to get a good blood pressure and finding a cuff that'll fit around an arm or a leg, um, issues with trying even to get an IV. Um, finding vascular access, um, even the nutritional challenges, because just because somebody is obese does not mean that they're nutritionally healthy. Um, You know, it's the flip of anorexia. It's, it's that mirror um, on the complete swing, Um, trying to get uh, good control of blood sugar is, can be very difficult as well. And when somebody is sick in the ICU, um, super high blood sugar can make that illness even worse. So getting, getting good control of that blood sugar is, is difficult sometimes. And we have to use high amounts of insulin. Um, and that can be, um, dangerous in itself. And we have to watch that very closely, um, as you know, as a pharmacist. Um, so, um, it can be very difficult for the nurses with, um, um, 
watching for pressure sores and, and moving the patient and monitoring and positioning and posture, um, watching for accidental extubations and, and so on. Um, you know, there's, there's pharma pharmacology challenges with, um, dosing and, um, with body weight and pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Um, also, um, you know, using with their body weight, how do you, and this goes into the pharmacodynamics and kinetics, but um, how do you dose their um, anticoagulation and their antibiotics? Um, the, the, the weight of their body with the respiratory system can, it causes a decrease in the um, amount of lung that they have available. So um, it's very hard to open up lung and exchange air for them. Um, and then there's, mm -hmm. you know, sleep apnea if they're not intubated, um, difficult airway issues, risks of aspiration or um stomach contents going into the lungs, um, difficulty ventilating with the ventilator. Um, if, if a, in a surgical airway or a tracheostomy is needed in an emergency situation, it's very difficult to be able to find the right space for that. Um, uh, Gosh, I, I mean, it's a list of challenges. I mean, I can go on system <laughs> yeah. by system. It's right. just, you know, there are just so many things that are affected that we, we really don't stop to think about. Um, so, I mean, that's that's really how important it is. And and so, um, Dr. Hedlund, what, what is, you know, the patients that you see as a critical care doctor, um, how many of those patients are obese and um, you know, they're, they're one of the reasons they're in the hospital is probably because of their obesity. Is that common? Um, I would say that obesity, obesity is a contribution to the reason they're in the hospital would be about 20 to 30% at least of the patients that I see. So um, back on intermittent fasting, um, I know, and I want to kind of clear this up because I know there's some there's some um, information out there on intermittent fasting that, you know, during that four hour, six hour, eight hour period of your e you eating, um, you can basically eat anything you want. And you kind of made that clear. That's not what you did. Um, you cut out processed foods and sodas and stuff. So yeah. um, I just I, I want to make sure that our viewers and listeners know that about intermittent fasting because I've there's some. There is some information out there. It's like, oh, well, eat, you know, what you've been doing forever is not work. So do this and you can eat anything you want between this four hour window. But I don't necessarily agree with that because, yeah. uh, you know, if you, you know, there again, you can still eat a lot of bad stuff in four, four to six hours. Even if it's not too yeah. much calories, you might lose weight. That doesn't mean it's good for you. So, um, yeah, and I also I just wanted to you know we had Dr. Sean O'Mara on, which he's we're going to have him on our podcast um, again in a few months, I hope. Um, and he is big on intermittent fasting, and he talks about you know fasting anywhere from you know um, twenty four to forty eight to even seventy two hours. And when he, mm -hmm. yeah, when he talks about us as humans, evolutionarily speaking. Uh, metabolically speaking, that was not that uncommon for us to fast for three days if 
you know, we were hunting most of our food. You know, we would hunt our food. We would have big meal for, you know, maybe a day. And then we wouldn't have anything for three days. So that wasn't that uncommon. You might eat a little bit between there. But, uh, you know, um, so intermittent fasting is really, you know, you could you could make a, a a um, argument that it's not you know it's it's the way we used to eat um mm-hmm. we didn't have excess food and that's that's part of the problem i believe in america is that most all of us have basically an unlimited food source when we get home we have an unlimited food source in our pantry mm-hmm. in our fridges and that's why we have to be careful about it mm-hmm. yes i i just cut out all of the basically processed foods um you know no i didn't come home and fix ramen noodles i didn't drink any soda i just drank tea or coffee i did allow myself to have some creamer um but i didn't i didn't use any splenda i just stopped that if i was going to use sugar i just used sugar um because i felt like that was more natural and um that was that I didn't cut out a hundred percent of sugar because I ate fruit. Um, I, um, I didn't have any candy bars, but I would eat dark chocolate. Um, I just felt like I feel better after eating real food. Um, but I didn't, you know, if somebody had a birthday, I would have a piece of birthday cake or if, I mean, my birthday, uh, is uh was in october and i i had a piece of birthday cake for my birthday um but uh i will and i had a couple of fasting periods where i fasted for for 24 to 48 hours um and i felt okay um just drank water coffee or tea um and and i did okay um i was definitely hungry afterwards and then i you know the next day i didn't fast at all um and just ate like vegetables and steak and chicken and like you know food 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 um but it it was fine and um i i am planning i mean i'm gonna get married um later this year so i'll i'll be fasting again um probably starting lent uh i think that's a good time to (laughs) Yeah, right. That that's, coming that's, pro- that's coming up probably, right? Yeah, yeah, in the middle of February. So yeah. um I'll get my get good graces with God and fast. So right. double whammy there. Um so yeah, so I'll do it again. And so are you at your goal weight yet? No, I have about um I mean, to be, to be in the normal weight, I would, I have about 25 pounds, like, like regular, like regular BMI, but to be at like the weight to be smoking in a bikini, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think I have 40 pounds. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be 45 this year, so I have to do something here for myself. Well, congratulations on getting married and congratulations on being 45. You look great. So keep up. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Um, you know, you, you definitely, um, are, are inspiring. Uh, I'm sure for your patients, they've seen that. And, um, how has that changed? Has anybody, has anybody's, um, has anybody's eating habits or, you know, health habits changed around you because of you that you directly know? 
my kids, um, my kids, uh, there's not as much mac and cheese and uh, the processed foods for them. Um, my littlest one, his favorite snack to go to is an apple. So when he wants a snack, he'll, he'll just, now he doesn't even ask. He just goes and grabs an apple out of the fridge. And I'm pretty confident when I hear him getting into the fridge now, it's either going to be um, an apple or some cheese. So, and I'm okay yeah. with that. That's awesome. That is so cool that, mm-hmm. you know, healthy, we call it proximity principle. Um, you know, when you hang around healthy people, it is contagious and it's, uh, you know, it can really, really encourage others to do the same. And did your kids have any um, weight issues before? Um, my oldest got a little bit of chubbiness, um, oh, like at the big, like in the middle of the COVID season, um, he, he's a hockey player and like that was put on hold. And so he wasn't skating regularly and he just kind of sat around playing video games and eating. And so I just said, stop it. (laughs) And, uh shoved him outside and that got better. Um, so, but that's it. They're, they're normal kids. And now they're back at the rink and skating around and playing hockey again and everything's better. So, um, and I don't deprive them of, of treats and stuff. We have, um, I, I let them have dessert on Wednesday and Saturday and like dessert, dessert and, and, you know, they get, some snacks every so often that are like fruit roll-ups or something. I don't know. Um, but I just don't let them sit in front of the TV and continue to eat. So. Yeah. And that's just a bad habit to get into in general um, is, you know, eating, eating while you're driving, eating while you're watching TV, mm-hmm. because when you do something like you get into that habit, then next thing you know, you're just always eating in front of the TV. Yeah. And if you're not hungry, so you know, it's important to stay away from those habits. So good for yeah. you for teaching your kids that. So you mentioned COVID a little bit. Um, yeah. How how has obesity, you've, I know you've taken care of COVID patients. How has yeah. obesity, um, how have you seen obesity affect COVID patients? Yeah, well, there there's two big things um, with COVID that really frightened me um, when it comes to taking care of patients in the ICU. Um the ones that really get sick. Um, and, and it comes down to uh, respiratory failure and um, like a kind of this fibrotic ARDS weird picture and then blood clotting. And when it comes to obesity and those two things, there's like this huge intersection because obesity you already have this restrictive kind of breathe, breathing issue with the, um, the weight of the obesity and um, the limitation of the lung volumes and then add on top of it, you know, ARDS and it's just a recipe for disaster trying to ventilate and oxygenate these patients on, on a ventilator with a breathing tube. So um, there's, there's a real it's it's just really difficult to um, just try to get them through that. Um, and then the second thing is that 
um, very, you know, really morbidly obese patients tend not to be, tend to be not very active. And so they are just a baseline higher risk for blood clots, just based on um, Virchow's triad principle of endothelial disruption and uh, inactivity and, and so on. So, um, and then couple it with COVID, which is this pro-coagulant disease. And then, you know, you have issues with blood clots in the legs, the lungs, brain. Um, it, it's mm-hmm. just horrible. So, um, so those, those are the things that really concern me and why I think that um, ob- obesity is a target with this disease. Uh, and, and so many uh, patients with obesity are, are um, succumbing to, to this or testing or having symptoms more so than others. Yeah, their body's already under stress and they, yes. they get a virus and it's just they, you know, they already have all these underlying issues and it just makes it a lot harder for their body to fight it. I mean, it just, it kind of is, is um, common sense. So, yes. you know, yet another reason to try to be ideal body weight because, uh, mm-hmm. or I should say ideal, you know, we talk about body weight and you're talking about, you know, being hot in the bikini and stuff yeah. and, and regular weight. But, you know, I think one thing we have to realize is that, you know, the ideal body weight, maybe we can talk about this is ideal body weight is not, you know, I think, I think is not always a good, um, number for everybody. Um, I think ideal body composition might be a better term, you know, because I can tell you that, you know, for, I, I'm still 30 pounds overweight, probably 40 pounds overweight. But if I lost 40 pounds, I would look emaciated. Um, you know, cause everybody carries their weight different depending right. on their muscle mass. And, right. and if you look at a lot of athletes, I mean, a lot of athletes by BMI, you know, like NFL players and stuff like that, even, mm-hmm. even the lean ones, like the, um, you know, running backs and stuff. I mean, they're, they're definitely obese, but they're, you know, they've got this, it's just cause of their body composition. It's cause of their weight. They got extra muscle mass, not necessarily mm-hmm. that they're carrying a little extra fat. So that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, I, I am one of those that used to be an athlete and, and I have very broad shoulders and, and, and so on. So, um, so I guess I have that going for me. I don't know. Yeah. And I, well, I, I just, you know, I will never be 145 pounds in my life again, at least honestly, I hope I'm not. I mean, I want to kind of keep my muscle mass. I, yeah. I don't want to lose yeah. it. So. Right. <laughs> so, so, um, so in our, uh, pre-conference call, you talked about, um, you know, some of the things that can cause obesity, um, you know, and it, and it falls into that socioeconomic, you know, you talked about processed foods is cheaper and all that. Can we go into that discussion a little bit? Sure. Sure. Um, yes. So, um, rural urban areas, um, you know, you have situations where, um, what's available are corner stores or small grocery stores, um, fast food restaurants, and especially more urban areas. And, and um, you know, somebody has 10 bucks on them. Um, they, they can just buy something that's fast or processed. Um, I also believe that um, in thinking about after our, our, 
uh, call that, um, you know, we've, we've lost the art of teaching our kids how to cook and how to grow vegetables and, and, um, prepare things for ourselves. So, um, even if, um, fresh food was, was cheaper, um, I'm not so sure that it would be any better because people wouldn't know what to do with it. Um, they're, our, our children are being raised without um, home ec classes uh, or whatever the PC term is for those classes these yeah, days. Right. <laughs> when I was in high school, it was home ec. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, but um, but even just to to know how to garden, um, I I would wager that nine out of 10 high school students wouldn't even know where to begin on how to plant a garden, um, which is unfortunate. Um, and then I would also wager that seven out of 10 of their parents wouldn't know how to start a garden either, which is, yeah. you know, if the teachers can do it, then the parents go to your parents, but their parents probably don't know how to either. So yeah. how, how are, how are we supposed to eat healthy if we don't know how uh, so yeah uh, definitely and i i know um you know uh, there's always a discussion about eating healthy is expensive now um i'm glad you brought this up because that's not necessarily true um i think it's just that eating healthy is not quite as convenient so yeah. it's easier to go to mcdonald's and you know, pay some money to go to McDonald's than it is to cook something. But here's a perfect example. Um, you know, um, my wife and I, we eat a lot of eggs. And the other day we were eating eggs and sausage. And just out of curiosity, I, I don't do the shopping, so I don't know how much stuff is, but I asked her how much the eggs were. Well, I, I, I did the math and each egg was like 25 cents or something. Less than mm -hmm. that, actually, because we buy 60 at a time. Mm -hmm. And then with the sausage, um, you know, it was a few dollars. So, I mean, we ate breakfast for like four or five dollars for both of us. Mm -hmm. And um, we were definitely, um, you know, satiated. And, you know, I, I think it was fairly healthy um, or really healthy, really. Um, I know some people argue that pork's not, but, you know, I, I will debate that all day long. Um, I don't really think you can eat too much sausage or too much bacon. I mean, you just, you really honestly can't. Um, so anyway, and then we had some friends, we were actually traveling and I, I was cooking on a little grill actually. And we had some friends that went into town and went to McDonald's and came back and we asked them, well, how much did you spend at McDonald's? They spent $15 at McDonald's. Obviously their food was not near as good. And we spent $4, four or $5 for both of us. Um, mm -hmm. and really honestly, it doesn't take that long to cook two eggs and and some sausage. I mean, within 20 minutes, your breakfast is done. Right. And, yeah. And then, but we get into the argument of people say, well, I don't have time to do that. Oh, really? You've got time to search your phone all day long on Facebook. And, you know, it's in, or you got time to surf on the internet or whatever, or play video games, but you don't have time to cook healthy. I mean, so right. I, I just don't, I don't buy it. I mean, and that it's, it's kind of like the exercise thing when people say, I don't have time to exercise. 
you know, just, just don't say that. Don't lie like that. Say you don't make time because I guarantee you, you are doing something else that you could be more productive, you know, yes. get off Facebook, get off whatever and, and, mm -hmm. and be more productive exercising. So I just like to get that out there that, that there's a misnomer about eating healthy is expensive because especially like you're talking about, if you did grow your own garden and that is a lot of work for sure, I think it's a very important thing. Unfortunately, I live in a rural, in a rural area. I grew up on a farm. I grew up working on a farm, not on a farm. My wife grew up on a farm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we definitely know how to grow our own stuff. We don't, but, um, but another thing is too, is just a farmer's market. I mean, if you go to a farmer's market in the summer, mm -hmm. you can buy fruits and vegetables for so cheap. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, yep. so, you know, I think eating, eating healthy is not expensive. Eating healthy can be very inexpensive and either. And here's what um, one of the doctors taught us on our, on our podcast one time, you know, pay the farmer now or pay the doctor later. Yes. You know, yep. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> pay now or pay later. I mean, you know, that's really, yep. the, really the key. And, you know, um, that really is what's going to happen because, like you say, if you don't eat healthy and you become obese, we get all these disease states that we got to deal with, like you've talked about. So, <laughs> indeed. So, yeah. So, um, Dr. Hedlund, um, I want you to just uh, kind of follow up and just tell us what what is what drives you. What 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 um, is your passion? I I love taking care of my patients. I love to um, just make sure that they're safe. And, um, that's kind of the anesthesiologist in me, um, just being the safety advocate for the, the patient. Um, I also, um, I really enjoy the thrill of, um, critical care and, um, want to, for better, for lack of a better term, save lives. But I am coming to realize that, um, it's not always the acute care portion that saves lives. Um, it's the preventive care as well. And um, I will never, ever be one of those doctors who can stand clinic. I, <laughs> that's why I went into what I do now, but I can lead by example and um, I'm happy to do so. I, um, I'm, proud to do so. And, um, today I didn't, I, I didn't wear any makeup on purpose because makeup, I can, I can make my makeup look like my face is like perfect and like, you know, very chic and thin and stuff. But I just wanted to like, this is really me and what I look like and who I am. And, um, so, you know, when my, when, just some random person who's not a physician watches this podcast. They can look at me and, and, and see that, yeah. Oh, well, this person like is a real human being who did this and I can do that too. You know, I'm not, you know, all put together today. I'm not all like, Oh, this is so unattainable. It's perfectly attainable. And, um, um, not that hard to do really not, it wasn't really that hard to do in retrospect. Um, so I, I, that's, I'm, I, I can't believe that I'm saying it, but I am very passionate about it. 
Yeah, that's awesome. It's such a great story. And just a reminder, I don't know if we went into it, how much you lost the total of how much weight did you totally lose total? Well, at my highest, right after I gave birth to my last, um, I don't know if I told you that, um, I was like 290 at my like highest. Now that was <laughs> why you were, was that why you were pregnant or? That was, um, that was like right after, like right after I gave birth. Holy um, and I granted a lot of it water weight and preeclamptic sure. issues, but still, I mean, it was weight. I mean, I, it was how much I weighed. Um, and I think I stepped on, I had to go to the doctor last week for something. I twisted my knee um, and I weighed like 181 or something because post-holiday. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, you know, over a hundred pounds in the last, let's see, my oldest is five. I don't know, but. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's life changing for sure. Yeah, but I, I let's see. I got down to like two. I probably weighed two hundred and thirty pounds when I moved to Kansas City, and that was th two and a half years ago. And so it's like fifty pounds in the last yeah. two and a half years. So and and how has your your sizes changed? How many? Um, size changes uh, that you went through. Yeah, I wear. I've gone down like eight sizes. Wow, good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're yeah, still going. A, yeah. yeah, I went from a size twenty to a size twelve. I mean, I before Christmas or before Thanksgiving, really, I could wear a size ten, but you know. <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah yeah i know i get yeah the holidays are tough no that's mm -hmm. great that's that's very inspiring and it's a great story and, I, and I, I i like the idea too that you know you're being real with it that um you know you're 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 a doctor and you're a real person i mean and it's mm -hmm. um and anybody can do it so that's uh that's very yeah. inspiring and, and you've still got goals to go so that's awesome yeah, yeah. it's just awesome to talk about this in january because as you know you know it's a big month for a lot of people to um, you know, start their New Year's resolutions and try to stay on track with weight loss, and that's why we've yeah. kind of focused on on that topic on in on our shows this this month. So, um, yeah. So oh, we'll think one, one more thing. Oh, please, um, please. Uh, I'm also five foot seven, so that's so to put the weight in perspective. Yeah, yeah. So two ninety at five foot seven is is um is a uh, pretty big. And that it is was, amazing. And just talking about body types and stuff. I mean, it is amazing that five seven. That's you're my height. And um, you know, even though you say you're forty pounds overweight, and the and the, you know, the BMI chart will say that. It is amazing how, you know, you carry your weight um, fairly well just because of the way you're built. So, mm -hmm. um, you you look great. So. Thanks. So um, that is going to conclude our show. I thank you so much for being on today, Dr. Headland. And oh, you're um, more than welcome. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and you know, one of the things about sharing our stories too is I, I have a weight loss journey myself. And one thing about sharing our stories is it kind of keeps us accountable. In my opinion, it's helped with me. You know, because uh, I've shared it with so many people now. It's like I can't gain weight back now. <laughs> so it's uh, it helps it helps keep me accountable. So. Um, 
You tune in, so listeners and viewers, tune in Monday because we will have Olga on. And Olga um, is going to talk to us about how she um, practiced medicine, not practiced medicine, but she was a nurse and how medicine was um, in a, a former communist country. So she's going to talk to us about that. You want to stay tuned because um, there's a lot of things going on in our country now that are scarily similar and let's hope we don't go down that road because we really don't want to so but i do want to give some history of that so we know what to look for as americans because i definitely do not want communist health care in this country so tune in for that show it will be monday 1 to 2 p.m pacific standard time you don't want to miss it and as always thank you for listening and watching dr headland thanks again for being on i really appreciate you sharing our story or your story And um, that is Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, We'll see you Monday. Thank you so much. 